Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. We have Jessica Johns in studio with us this morning. She is a wife and a mom to three boys. Her background is in elementary education. Her passion is decreasing poverty in West Michigan by connecting donated resources to organizations doing the work to create sustainable future, a sustainable future for us all. Super, super cool thing she's doing. It's called The Storehouse. And we want to know, Jessica, what is The Storehouse? Why don't you start with that? Give us an, a description, explanation of what The Storehouse is and then where that came from. Like, where did God plant that seed in your heart for this The Storehouse? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so The Storehouse is a where it's a nonprofit warehouse redistribution center. We take in donated and the key is that they're brand new items. So mm-hmm. uh, not the same as like a thrift store, brand new items from businesses, box stores, manufacturers across the U.S. and also locally that we take in millions of dollars worth of products. And then we redistribute those to both nonprofits and to low-income schools. So we're working to offset their you know, costs to be able to run their operations, but also to benefit the at-risk populations they serve. That is incredible. That is an incredible thing. So where did this all begin for you? Like, where where do you think the seed initially got planted for a ministry like Storehouse and what you guys are doing? I believe that God really planted the seed in my backgrounds in elementary education. And I was teaching in Speedway, Indiana over 20 years ago. And I was working with a student who, um, you know, the, the, the population within Speedway, I would call mostly middle class, although the school that I was teaching at served a, um, a low-income apartment building. So I had this student, he was really bright and, you know, just way beyond, you know, what everybody else in the, in the class was like, but he Mm. was missing school. He was, you know, falling behind. And every time I'd reach out to the parents, it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of traction. And finally I realized one day, um, that his story was very broken, that he was living in and out of motels and Mm -hmm. uh, couch surfing, not unlike a lot of my other students that I came to realize. Um, so anyway, I felt like God was calling my husband and I to give her a car which my husband said, okay, you know, but we're moving actually to Michigan in six weeks. So you have six weeks to figure out the details to it. The challenge was the car needed a new transmission. Oh my, that's not a little fix. Exactly. So I prayed and I said, okay, God, for whatever reason, I feel like you're calling me to this. And so ironically, it was a radio station that I reached out to. I had a long commute to work. And so um, they had a problem of the day that was usually more relational based, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend issue. Mm. But I typed out my problem and they never responded for Mm. several weeks. And my husband kept saying every day, you know, this is how many days you have left. Yeah. And I finally got a note. This is the day. And basically what happened, they shared the story and callers from all over the city called in and offered just thousands of dollars of different, you know, a new house, a college education, you know, clothes for the kids. It was just so far beyond, just like God does, so far beyond what we could think or imagine. And ultimately, a car dealership took my terrible car on on a trade and gave her a brand new vehicle that was, you know, way better than the tiny mustard seed I offered up. Wow. That's awesome because you gave what you had. Exactly. But they got something better than a car that needed a new transmission. Yes, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> We're talking with Jessica Johns of the Storehouse, storehousemi.org. So so just real quick, you know, you uh, go through the process. You've got an item in your warehouse and then it goes where and then it gets to the person in need. Can you talk about that process? 
Absolutely. So the way it really started was working with what I'm going to call like a broker organization. We work with three basic brokers and that's not the names, but um, where they connect to a product owner. Product owner has an excess amount of inventory they want to get rid of for some reason. They reach out to us, the broker, and says, you know, how much of this do you want? We take it in and then we have memberships at the storehouse with local nonprofits, even some along the lakeshore and then low-income schools. They can come in and actually shop for this merchandise. A lot of it's free. And if it's not free, it's an extremely low cost, about mm-hmm. 1% of the total value of the item. Mm-hmm. And who's maybe somebody who's accessed your service here in the here in West Michigan? Bethany Christian Services, Mel Trotter, Pregnancy <clears throat> Resource Center, Family Promise. Wow. And what is your what's your heart does your heart's desire now? Now that this thing is up and running, what's the vision? What's the goal? What do you see in the future? So if I could paint it for you exactly how I see it, is that we would create this puzzle of the landscape of Grand Rapids and West Michigan and it break it into a puzzle mm-hmm. and each of the individual puzzle pieces are equally in size and our logo our the storehouse is a tiny equal piece to that but when you bring in all of the resources and it's the different product owners it's the volunteers it's the members it's the people who are getting impacted it shows this beautiful cityscape or this West Michigan landscape that shows that we're all just part of this giant puzzle that when we bring all of these, Mm -hmm. you know, things that we have that God's put in us and we put them all together, that God blesses it and creates this, you know, perfect community. It's bringing the kingdom, bringing the kingdom of God into the brokenness. And so it's storehousemi.org, storehousemi.org. In your warehouse, do you happen to have a basketball hoop in there i'm trying to reboot my <laughs> basketball career so we do we actually do oh my goodness Woo! that's hilarious <laughs> i'd love to hear a little bit of an illustration of how this works why don't we start with um how product gets to you because it's it seems strange that somebody would have brand new product that they don't have a use for. How does it end up at the storehouse? Can you tell me a story of what that looks like? Absolutely. So most, the bulk of our product is still coming from national donors, so big box stores and manufacturers. But we do have some that comes locally. And one of the more, um, one of the stories I'd like to highlight, um, one of the local headquartered bigger businesses had actually reached out and donated a pallet of tennis shoes to Bethany Christian Services the group home that they sent it to had about 100 students at it, 100 children, and not wanting to turn down a possible donor, they took the product in and ended up, it was uh, all the same size tennis shoe, a red size eight tennis shoe. Mm. They had three kids who could wear that red, or three kids who could fit a size eight, but only one that really wanted the red tennis shoe. Um, So it ended up being something that while they really appreciated it, it probably could have landed in a spot like the storehouse to really bless multiple organizations who needed that exact one pair. That's really cool because you're not just distributing to one place. You can, you know, you don't have to send 299 of the leftover red tennis shoes in a size eight to one place. Exactly. You can find where it needs to go. So tell me a story of what it looks like on the receiving end. Where's an organization or a, a people group came across a resource that you had what they needed? 
So our ultimate goal is to match our resources perfectly. So really to work with our organizations and the schools to say, what is it that you really need Mm -hmm. and can we source that for you? And so um, as we're doing that right now, it's very manual. You know, people call in or send emails and one of the organizations reached out and we like to tell big stories, but some of these really smaller stories really are very impactful. And so one of the organizations had reached out and said, oh my goodness, we're going to be receiving a hundred refugee families tomorrow. We're going to house them all together. It's going to be women and children, and we really just need pajamas and earplugs. And we Mm -hmm. just so happened to have gotten a whole surplus of those in the day before. Mm -hmm. And we were like, who's going to need all of these items, especially the earplugs? So it kind of just shows how God shows up with just those small needs and just the right time. That is that is awesome. That is such a God story. Yeah. So I know, you know, your heart is to really in a real life way, share God's love, you know, and let people feel God's love through this whole process and people who need, you know, getting these items and feeling God's love through it. How does that happen? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure you want that this is being given in the name of Jesus. I'm glad that you asked that because to me, the way that I encountered Jesus was him physically providing for me as a kid. You know, I grew up without a lot of material resources and I felt like the, the God that I grew up knowing was one that met me along the way. And so we talk about that a lot with our members and how we believe through faith that when they need something that God will provide it. And that's the way that we connect Jesus back to them. Jessica, a few minutes ago, you were sharing with us how God kind of put this, planted the seed in your heart. We all want to believe that when that happens, a year later, you're just telling the story of, you know, everything's just flying and going uh, gang, like gangbusters. And, but that's not your story. There was a season of waiting. Can you t- tell us about that? Paint the picture for us of, um, you know, God laid this on your heart and then what? Yes, thank you. Um, so actually, the storehouse kind of started as a small mustard seed of we were we, the, our church was involved with a um, a local food bank, and at Christmas time we wanted to do something, and they had said, well, really, what was most needed was hygiene. So we had asked the church um, congregants to donate products, and we that ended up evolving into a hygiene type pan- pantry. And about a year into that, I felt like God gave me a dream that He was going to expand that and do something much bigger. But mm-hmm. I honestly didn't know what that was. I talked to my pastor about it, not even knowing if he did he really believe in dreams from God. And so anyway, um, you know, he he said yes. You know, I feel like that was from God. And if you can come up with what you think this should be, you know, there's a whole west third of our building that we could give you space for. Wow. Yeah. So um, that took six years. And honestly, we had different people who came on and off of our research team and investigating different opportunities. And I honestly was ready to give up. So six years of just trying to figure out what the thing is. Exactly. Yeah. So whether or not we should just merge with another nonprofit, whether we should do, you know, things that were already being done in the community, we just we really had no idea. We, we knew that we really thought we were called to looking for these resources. We found that most nonprofits were also looking for these hygiene related products. Mm-hmm. And so that was really on my heart. Um, in my personal life, my husband and I were feeling called to give a car to a family that had nothing to do with my church, nothing to do with what I felt God was calling me to pers- or from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, where God keeps meeting me throughout my life is these acts of obedience. And so it was an act of obedience that 
wasn't directly related to what God really wanted to do. But doing that, just a few days later, I received a call from an organization outside of the state of Michigan who was looking to get involved with our church that turned into uh, an opportunity for us to start the storehouse. Mm. And so you would have never put all those dots together to make it happen the way it did. But yeah. to me, it was just all related back to acts of obedience. So did you ever feel like giving in those six years? How many times did you feel like giving up? <laughs> sometimes monthly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes every time a new person who came onto the committee would ask a question that we'd already answered. Mm. It felt like we were kind of starting from ground zero yeah. and was quite frustrating at times. Yeah. Tell us again, just real briefly, what the storehouse is so we can lock it into people's minds right now. Yeah. So the storehouse is a, a warehouse redistribution center that takes in donated products from businesses and box stores across the U.S. And then we redistribute those locally, benefiting nonprofits and low income schools. So it's storehousemi.org, storehousemi.org. Yeah, I just have one other question for you, and it's kind of unrelated. So if you don't have an answer, that's totally fine. But I'm just wondering, do you ever get resources or do you ever have a need that you don't have the resource? And how do you handle that? That's a really great question. So we right now are manually tracking all of the items that our businesses, or I'm sorry, our nonprofits and schools are requesting. We actually pray about that. We literally go and just say, God, you know what? If this is a resource that you're calling us to be able to provide, please provide it. And lots of times God answers, but there's sometimes that God doesn't. So mm-hmm. just leave it in his hands in exactly. prayer. So somebody listening right now, God has put a dream in their heart for his kingdom. It's not a selfish thing. It's a, it's a way of bringing the kingdom to the world and they're just discouraged. What can you say to them? I would say, take it to God. You know, it's really, um, I think when we carry that burden of feeling like we have to create or do something, that's a burden that we're not to carry. I feel like when it's of God and you keep saying, taking the next right step, Mm. really, it's just one step at a time. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we get into this mindset of we have to run this race. We have to run, Mm. you know, and accomplish. Mm -hmm. And really, that's not how God calls us to do it. That's causes too much burden and for us to carry. Yeah. Well, if you know somebody who has a need... Or if you know somebody who has a resource, would you please check out Storehouses, Storehouse of Michigan? It's storehousemi.org, storehousemi.org. In 2002, the lead singer of the iconic global rock band U2 came across a translation of the Bible that spoke the language of his heart. He was riveted by it especially how the Psalms were translated, Eugene Peterson's The Message. And Bono, that lead singer of U2, reached out to Eugene to express his thanks in 2002. And eventually, these two guys would meet up in a cabin in the woods of Montana. Mr. Peterson, Eugene, my name is Bono. I'm the singer with the group U2 and wanted to sort of video message you my thanks and our thanks and the band for this remarkable work you've done. There's been some great translations, some very literary translations, but no translation that I've read that um, speaks to me in my own language. So I want to thank you for that. Take a rest now, won't you? Bye. 
I never heard of Bono before. And then uh, one of my students showed up in class with a copy of the Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones? And in it, there was an interview with Bono in which he talked about me and the message. And he used in some, you know, slangy language about who I was. And I said, who's Bono? And they, they were dumbfounded. I'd never heard of Bono. <laughs> but that's not the circle that I really travel in very much. So that's how I first heard about him. I was 12 years old when I discovered the Psalms. I picked up the Bible and I started reading. And somebody told me that the Psalms were important. So I started with the Psalms and I was totally confused because I grew up in a culture where every word in the Bible was the word of God, literally. Don't mess around with it. It's just, that's the way it is. And I was starting to read that he keeps my tears in this bottle, shields, <laughs> javelins, rock. God is our rock. Come on. After about two or three weeks of this, I just was just confused and I thought, I'm missing something. I'd never heard the word metaphor before, but I learned what a metaphor was, not by knowing the name, but by just observing what's going on in the Psalms. So I think the Psalms are important because they, for some people like me at 12 years old, they showed me that imagination was, um, was a way to get inside the truth. I remember the Psalms from the little Church of Ireland church as a child going. I remember thinking, they have this rawness, the brutal honesty of whether it's David or not, it doesn't matter. The psalmist is brutally honest about the explosive joy that he's feeling and the deep sorrow or confusion. And it's that that sets the psalms apart for me. And, and I often think, well, why isn't church music more like that? I waited and waited and waited for God. At last, he looked, finally he listened, and he lifted me out of the ditch. He pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure that I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song. translating the psalms by translating a psalm for just a single person to try to get them to realize that praying wasn't being nice before God. I would translate a psalm that I thought fit them. And you know, the psalms are not pretty. They're not, they're not nice. And I would ask them just pray this psalm using my translation I think I'm doing it as about as close to the Hebrew as I can get it. And, but it's, it's not smooth. It's not nice. It's not pretty. But it's, it's honest. And I think we're trying for honesty, which is very, very hard in our, in our culture. I, I'm talking about dishonesty that I find a lot of, in the Christian art, a lot of dishonesty. Yeah, right. And I think it's a shame because you got, these are people who are vulnerable to God. Mm. 
in a good way, mm. you know, vulnerable, I mean, porous, open. I would love if, if, if this conversation would inspire people who are writing these beautiful voices and writing these beautiful, say, gospel songs, write a song about their bad marriage. Because that's what God wants mm. from you, mm. the truth, mm. the way, the truth. And, and that truthfulness, know the truth, the truth will set you free, it'll blow things apart. Why I, I'm suspicious of Christians is because of this lack of realism. And I'd love to see more of that in art and in life and in music. That's Bono, the lead singer of U2. He had a conversation a few years back with Eugene Peterson, who is the, the one that translated the message translation of the Bible. And of course, Eugene is now with Jesus and now he sees in full. But I love this challenge for us as, as believers who do creative things, whatever kind of creative things we do. You know, what we do, Shauna, is, is creative messaging of God's truth. And like the challenge is how, how vulnerable, how honest are we? Or do we speak in Christianese? And, you know, me as a as a songwriter and as a writer, can I, can I not just give the trite Christianese answers, mm-hmm. but can I bear my soul? It's, it's a scary thing to bear your soul. It's a vulnerable thing. Like Bono was saying, like, it's just to be honest about where you're at is, um, exposing mm-hmm. a part of yourself and putting yourself out there. And, you know, that comes with risk because putting yourself out there might, you know, might cause someone to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And that feels like, oh my goodness, I just personally got rejected. Yeah, yeah. Psalm 88. So the Psalms were the, the hymn book of the Hebrews. And of course, they're God's word to us. We don't have the music to them anymore. But these were the songs that they sang in worship. And Psalm 88, it says, the writer of Psalm 88 says, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest mm-hmm. friend. That's how the song ends. Right. That's how the song ends. Wow. Like, my heart was singing a similar song on Wednesday night. Just was wrestling with the enemy. And if I had taken it to pen and paper, it would have sounded a whole lot like Psalm 88. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, God, I need you. Oh my goodness, help. The enemy is coming at me like a flood. I'm, you know, old lies that have old lies, just crap stuff from the enemy, just coming at me like rapid fire, which, you know, for me, the, the, the message at the end of it all is you just don't matter. The world would be better without you. You know what I mean? Like those kinds of intense messages from the enemy. And they were so believable. It was so believable to me on Wednesday night. I'm like, Lord, help me to see what is true. Help me to stand what is untrue. What is on what is true even now. Mm-hmm. But God can handle our honesty. And the Psalms are such a beautiful invitation to get real with God. We're 
for setting our hearts on what we're grateful for all month long. There's a challenge out there. It's called Gratitude is Greater Than Grumbling. It's whenever you start to complain, you just stop yourself and then use that as a trigger to actually give thanks to God instead. Think about what you're genuinely grateful for and have a conversation with God about that instead of grumbling and complaining. And one of the things I am so grateful for is the gift of hospitality. Like other people have extended hospitality to me in such a way that they've created space for me to just be. And it has been, it's actually been life transforming. And I think so often hospitality kind of gets a bad rap because we think the house has to be clean. The laundry has to be put away. The everything has to be perfect. It has to be a fancy meal that has all the colors of all the vegetables and all the things, right? But that's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is just creating space for another person. Uh, an easy, comfortable space that you can both enjoy together. Mm-hmm. My daughter did a, um, she's brilliant. Her end of the year for her master's thesis project was a podcast. So instead of writing 20 pages of something, she grabbed a microphone and, and interviewed some really smart people on this subject of hospitality. And the definition that she shared of hospitality is creating space where there is no shame for the guest or for the host. No shame. Just come on in. Let's be. That's exactly what Jesus did. You know, he loved to hang out with sinners and have dinner with sinners and sinners felt his love and Mm -hmm. came into his family in that way. Yeah. They felt his hospitality. When Dan and I first got married, he had really good friends when we met um, that invited us over to dinner with them on Tuesday night. So we were just dating young couple, you know, and this is a family that was kind of farther ahead in the seasons of life. Um, Steve and Linda are their names. And at that time, their oldest child, their son was in high school and they had a daughter in middle school and then a son in elementary school. And every Tuesday we went to their house for tacos and it was, it was tacos every Tuesday. It was the same menu. It wasn't anything flashy or fancy. Her tacos were amazing by the way, but the meal was simple, but the opportunity was just come sit at our table and be a part of the family. That's really what it was. And as part of the family, and especially I think because it was a regular rhythm, we got to see all kinds of behind the curtains kind of things unfold with their family. You know, when they had to have a conversation with their son about something that had happened as a teenager, you know, and we were present for that conversation. It was a family thing, you know, or, you know, their son needed help with homework or their daughter, there was drama with a 13 year old girls at school, you know, or whatever. Like we were right there at the heart of it. And we got to just watch them love on their kids and, and parent their kids in such a godly way. How much of you, how much of that did you actually absorb and, and find yourself using with your kids? Oh, so much of that. Yeah. I know there's, you know, the, what would Jesus do? I have often asked myself, what would Linda do? Because she's been a living example to me of the God that I love. And she's challenged me too. At times we, we actually have been best friends now for, wow, almost 30 years. She was my personal attendant at my wedding. She was there when my babies were born. She came out to visit and helped me. And, and when I met my lowest, I'll pick up the phone and call Linda. And it all stemmed from just this super, super, simple invitation to come and sit and have tacos at their house on Tuesday nights. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. You're wondering, is all this faith stuff true? You know, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is a decision to trust in God in the face of our doubts. To doubt is to be human. It's the human struggle. I think it's where faith is born in some ways. 
To trust even though we doubt is pleasing to God. It's okay even to doubt. It's one of the ways we grow in faith. Don't focus on trying to rid yourself of doubts, but use your doubts as a springboard to trust God's promises. Mm -hmm. Like all these things I've doubted, like if I'm doubting my salvation or God's forgiveness or that God is good or that God even cares or if God sees me or if he's really with me, God's promises are rock solid anchors that speak to my doubts. But also, let your doubts propel you to find answers. Maybe you're doubting whether you can even trust the Bible. You're wondering, is this really God's word? I thought that. Mm. Maybe you're wondering, did God really save three guys who were thrown into a fiery furnace? That kind of a miracle? Is that even possible? Is there really an afterlife, a heaven, a paradise, Mm. a new heavens, a new earth? Or did Jesus really raise this friend Lazarus? his friend Lazarus from the dead, or did his own resurrection really happen? If you're having those kinds of doubts, don't despair. Do the work, do the research, read the books, listen to the podcasts, but don't simply read books and listen to people who reinforce your doubts. Mm -hmm. Now it's fair to look at what critics say. That's a good practice. But if that's all you're taking in, it'll destroy your faith. I've seen it happen. Two different examples One is a friend of my son's who just started drinking the poison Kool-Aid of what critics were saying about our faith. Mm. And that's all he drank. Mm -hmm. And he lost his faith. He, He renounced his faith. My son, on the other hand, Taylor, lots of doubts during college about whether this is true. This Jesus stuff is true. And he, he just threw himself into his doubts and into Jesus. And he is such a, robust believer in Jesus Mm -hmm. now because of that. And he can help people. He's so good at talking with atheists. Wow. And really understanding where they're coming from and getting to their emotions. It's so good. I, you know, I, when we're doubting, we don't want to know somebody's strong convictions. We want to know the truth. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, ask the Lord to reveal to you what the truth is. Like, I don't want to just know what so-and-so thinks or what so-and-so thinks. Like, reveal to me what is true in mm-hmm. the midst of this. Yeah, God's miraculous ability to reveal himself. You know, you can listen to, read the critics, what they say about our faith, but also listen to the people who have wrestled through their doubts and have found solid answers. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you want to talk to my son, he'd be happy to sit down with you. You know, just reach out to me. I can make that happen. But no matter how deep we dig, we're still going to have doubts because we're human, because God is God and we're not. He knows everything. We don't. And it's okay if you're having doubts. When doubts come to me, I say to myself, whatever I think or feel that unsettles me, is not the truth. I choose right now to trust God and not my fleeting thoughts and emotions. And you know, I've done the work with my doubts too. I have pillars and posts that I can go to in those times of doubts. Okay. That's really important. The pillars and posts that you go to, they were formed out of moments of doubt. Yeah. Exactly. It was the wrestling that you did where you came. I'm sorry for pointing at you. Oh, no, no. I thought it was funny. They, they, 
they came, they're truths that you know you can stand on. They're pillars and posts today because once they were doubts and you did the work. Yeah. That's how it happens. That's why we're talking about it's okay to doubt. Just just don't go off the rails. Right. You know? So this is how faith grows, I think, in the presence of doubt. The journey of faith in the face of doubt is a lifelong process. As you trust in the face of your doubts, know that your faith is growing. Mm -hmm. I love Jeremiah 17, 7. This is for you. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord in the face of their doubts. I put that in there and that's not in the scripture, but you're blessed if you're trusting the Lord in the face of your doubts, whose confidence is in him. You will be on today like a tree planted by the water. Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.